This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen here with you. Sexual violence has reached epidemic levels on our nation's college campuses, but there is much that can be done to stop this and to eliminate the culture that condones gender-based violence. Here to tell us more are Tiffany Breck, a mentors and violence prevention educator, and Megan Greeley, a campus sexual assault prevention coordinator. They're both with Vera House, which is a comprehensive domestic and sexual violence service agency in Syracuse. Welcome to you both. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. So um, let me start with you, Megan. Let's help us understand, describe the problem. I mean, what's happening on our colleges today that makes us feel like this whole problem has become an epidemic? Um, Well, I think recently there's been a lot of media attention on our colleges and universities uh, to the credit of courageous survivors and student allies that are raising awareness around um, how I like to frame this as a silent epidemic. Silent because it often happens behind closed doors without witnesses and we don't usually talk about it. An epidemic because of the uh, prevalence of how often this is happening. Yeah, Tiffany, why is it? Why is it growing? I mean, what's your sense? Um, you know, you, you can, when you talk about this issue and in regards to statistics and numbers, you have two kind of viewpoints. One, you know, you can view the numbers as, as growing because maybe more people are reporting, or you can view the numbers as growing because we have a serious issue. I think it's a combination of both. Um, I think, you know, college campuses, uh, it looks and, and feels like a bigger issue because you're talking about a smaller community of people, uh, and not just people, but young people. Uh, and this idea of the culture of violence has become normal in the sense of where people are not conscious that they're, they're doing harm. Um, it's just their daily routine. And so it's a, it's a conversation that we need to have. Um, these things shouldn't be normal. This shouldn't be a part of your college experience, a part of your living experience. Yeah, it's interesting because I think there's always been this stigma attached to any kind of sexual assault for the woman often. I mean, you know, that somehow she brought it on, she dressed a certain way, she, she was asking for it. I mean, you know, you hear that over and over and over again when it comes to sexual assault. And, and also this whole notion of this stigma of, of being afraid to come forward because of all of the stigma attached to that. Do you think that that has changed, Megan, in terms of people's willingness, women's willingness to come forward and to report these kinds of events? Well, I think when, as a community, we are intentional about talking about sexual assault relationship violence, we then create um, a culture where survivors and victims can feel safer um, telling their truths or asking for help. Um, and so that's why I see prevention as being so important. It's it's not just about preventing the next act. It's about creating a culture, a community that is safe for people who have already experienced that violence so that they feel like they can ask for help and talk about their experience. Tiffany, what do you think the impact is? I mean, I, I know this has been talked about many times, but what, what, what do you think ultimately the impact on this kind of violence is on the, on the victim? Um, you know, every, every victim is different. Um, so I can't, you know, I can't give you one definitive answer. I think, you know, depending on the person, it could be, you know, uh, you're looking at kind of the acute experience, like the you know, right after, what, what am I feeling? I'm feeling embarrassed, un, unsure, unsafe, self-conscious. Um, I'm questioning the choices that I made. Did I do this? Is it my fault? Uh, and then the long term, you know, if I uh, start to experience depression, how I choose to deal with depression, 
could lead to substance abuse issues, uh, eating disorders, self-harm, isolation. Uh, you know, it's a number of problems. Um, those things are fairly common, but again, everybody's different. You know, if you think about the impact, it's that the impact on the individual doesn't just stay with them. Uh, it ends up having a community impact, which just to echo what Megan just said, which this is why prevention is so key. Uh, for those people who feel like, eh, I don't have a connection to this issue because I've never experienced it or I don't know anybody, uh, you're a part of a community regardless. And on some level, this is going to come across and it's going to impact your world. Mm-hmm. How do you think that um, at this point, do you think that this notion of, well, where, where do you think alcohol or substance abuse plays a role in some of this behavior, I guess, is, is the first question I would ask either of you. I think there's, there's definitely an intersection, uh, you know, when we look at alcohol uh, and consent, uh, it's one of the topics that, that we talk about. Uh, alcohol is not a cause, it's a factor, it's very important to talk about. Uh, when you think about the messages we get uh, from media around those interactions, you know, interactions that involve alcohol and, and, and sexual behavior, they're often portrayed as very simple and easy and safe, uh, and that's just not real. What do you mean? Uh, you know, if you, you know, when you watch TV shows or movies and there's a situation where, you know, two people meet or two people go out on a date and there's alcohol involved and they go home and they have sex, like everything essentially appears very simple and easy and there's not, no one's being harmed. Um, you know, some movies, you, you know, I'm thinking knocked up, you know, you have an unplanned pregnancy, but then they, it's a comedy and, and they figure a way to deal with that. Uh, so in other words, do you think in some ways, that our culture has, I don't want to say turned a blind eye to the violent aspect, but in a way made this all, this whole notion of, you know, hooking up or meeting someone and having a sexual encounter, maybe even the first time you've met someone, as being more normal. Is that is that part of what's playing a role here? Uh, you know, yes and no. So I guess when I'm, uh, when I'm thinking about these, the messages we get around those, those interactions, not that you can't do that, and have a great experience, um, or you can't do that and come out fine. You you can do those things, and, and you can end up being okay. I think the the danger is there's there's no kind of counter uh, visual or counter conversation being had about if you do that, there are some risks associated with that behavior, that choice. Um, you know, the, how you get consent in a one night stand is a little bit different if you have been dating a person. You still need it. You still need to get it and give it. But how you communicate that is going to change. And I think if we have a culture of young people getting the message that it's totally cool, go out, drink, hook up, do your thing, and it's safe, then we're doing a huge disservice to them and their experience as young people. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with sexual violence prevention educators Tiffany Breck and Megan Greeley. We're talking about their work and um, specifically about sexual violence on college campuses, but also in their work in preventing that. So let's get to this notion. Why is prevention so important, Megan? You, that seems to be your kind of ballywick here, the thing that you feel most strongly about. Um, prevention is important because we don't want to continue to have to think about how to provide services after the fact. We want to stop um, 
sexual acts or dating violence before it happens. And when we focus our efforts on prevention, we have the chance to change our culture. And we have a chance to build a community where everyone feels like they have a part to play in being an agent of change in their community. So how do we go about that? In other words, we can talk about changing cultural values, but as Tiffany was just laying out, we've got the larger culture mm -hmm. who's saying to young people, you know, drink, have fun, go out, hook up, and maybe not giving them the same message that there are risks. And there are times when you may not, as a young woman, want to have that kind of intimacy, and yet it's being forced on you. So help us with that. What do you do to prevent it? So I think um, we have to start with talking about the myths that are out there around sexual assault and relationship violence. And, like what? Um, for instance, it's not a, a man in a ski mask hiding in your alley. Um, the majority of sexual assaults happen between people who know each other, and so there's an element of trust that that victim had for their perpetrator. Um, and That when, gets violated in some way. Yes, that gets violated in some way. And I think once we start to talk about how often this is happening, um, who are the victims, who are the perpetrators, it can become apparent to people that we all probably know somebody who's been affected in one way or another by sexual assault or relationship violence. And so it becomes something that all of us have a peace in changing and we have to have conversations around what are the messages that we received as young people about our gender, about power, about how we care for each other. How do we actually go about providing though a prevention? In other words, there was something about helping people who are bystanders in a circumstance be empowered to make mm -hmm. a difference. I heard a story that I thought was very profound about a young man in a, in a fraternity house who was seeing one of his so-called brothers helping a young woman up the stairs who was clearly extremely inebriated, and he was very concerned, and what he did was to yell, hey dude, your car's being towed, intervened in that way, mm -hmm. and ended up saving this young woman from that event. I mean, is that the kind of thing you would hope to encourage people to be doing? Yeah, uh, that's definitely a part of the conversation when talking about being an empowered bystander. Um, oftentimes, I think people feel intimidated by the concept of intervening. They feel that they have to intervene on such a personal level that they're uncomfortable. And there's so, a confrontation involved in that. Yeah, um, and so that's a huge deterrent for a lot of people. Um, and so the example that you just gave, uh, when I do programming with uh, high school students, I like to refer to that as the awkward turtle. Um, and it, it could be that situation like, hey, dude, your, your car is being towed. Or, um, you know, if you see or hear something, uh, a situation where the, the emotions, things are escalating and you want to do something, but you're unsure, uh, you could walk up to that person or those people and, and ask for the time, ask for directions, right? you're going to be the awkward turtle, right? They're going to look at you like you're crazy because you just interrupted this intense altercation, moment, altercation mm -hmm. uh, and asked me for something. But what you did is you just, you distracted them and it, you de-escalated the situation in that moment. Uh, that is a part of being an empowered bystander. Um, and how do you get people to do that, I guess is the question. How do you empower someone who's recognizing this is going on and wants to help to do that without fearing perhaps for their own safety, perhaps, or for their or for embarrassment, or how do you do it, Megan? How do you get them to, to do it? 
Well, when we do um, presentations and training with um, with leaders in communities, so peer leaders in high school or leaders on a college campus, we we go through scenarios and we talk about. Um, you know, what are the barriers that get in the way of, of being a bystander? And um, what are we brainstorm? What are the ideas that, that you could ask or interrupt with? But I think the because so many people feel uncomfortable in that moment, that conflict moment, that's why the message really needs to be focused on how do we intervene in the little things that so we don't have to be in that confrontation so moment. Give so, me a quick example of those so little things. So a quick things. example would be um, when somebody tells uh, a man, you know, you need to man up. What does being a man mean? Um, You're talking about in general. In general. Those so messages. The, the rape jokes, the sexual harassment, the catcalling, the... Um, the inappropriate sexual name calling, um, all of those little things that we so often walk by because we don't want to be the one that's like, that's not funny and it's not cool to, to say those things. But if we can intervene in those little moments before, then we would, my idea is we would never have to have the, the time where I'm trying to think up, what do I say to this guy that's trying to walk? So you're saying... You don't have the crisis. If it, what you're, I hear you saying is, mm -hmm. we need to change the way men treat women mm -hmm. generally, or some men treat mm -hmm. women generally, in this case, and and kind of fight on every little battle versus kind of the entire the wait for the crisis to occur. Right. Is that what you're saying? We need to change the way that we empower men and women to be healthy and whole individuals, and not fit into a small box of what it means to be a woman or be a man, what is what what it means to be strong, what it means to be sexy. We need to get rid of those um, those those very stereotypes. Small stereotypes and empower people to um, to not let those jokes, let those little things pass because when we do that we change our attitudes and beliefs. Yeah, but it's it's something that really goes very deep though cuz obviously sexual violence and is not limited to the college campuses. Mm -hmm. We see it in domestic violence throughout this country. I don't want to run out of time. I guess last statement, where do you think the source or how can we start to really make an impact on these events occurring? I think the first place to start is on the the individual level. Um, raising people's uh, personal awareness around the issues. Again, you know, who's a victim? Who's a perpetrator? What are the red flags? What are my, what are the community resources? Just uh, increasing people's knowledge around these issues. Um, and that it's not okay. Yeah. and, and Because some people probably think it's okay on both sides. Right. And, and, and acknowledging that by raising your awareness, by, by being an empowered bystander, by having conversations, um, by challenging a culture that normalizes violence, it's not taking the fun out of it. Um, I love my job. I have lots of fun talking about this. I still am able to live and go out and, and socialize. Um, and I feel like it's almost better because I do have this awareness. And if I see someone in need, I have the ability and knowledge to, to intervene and help them. Well, hope let's hope this message gets out there. And I think I applaud you both for the work you're doing, both on college campuses and in general with an organization like the Era House. Thanks so much for coming in. My guests have been Tiffany Breck, a Mentors in Violence Prevention Educator, and Megan Greeley, a Campus Sexual Assault Prevention Coordinator. They're both with Vera House, which is a comprehensive domestic and sexual violence service agency in Syracuse. I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. <laughs>